Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. If you have anxiety, let me guess. You're an introvert and you don't really like leaving the house. If I'm right and you'd like to have an anxiety-free day once in a while, maybe it's time to consider the safe empowerment system for social anxiety. Visit quietbegins.com and transform your anxiety to clarity and comfort. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, um, first things first, I just want to tell you really quick, 15, 30 seconds, to go to the overwhelmedbrain.com forward slash survey because I am taking a survey on those that are in relationships. Even if you're not in a relationship now, uh, if you've ever met someone and gotten into a relationship, uh, it would be very, very helpful because I am collecting information uh, to create a resource for people that are single looking for relationships. And, you know, I get questions like this all the time. I, I work with clients that are single and want to be in relationships. I hear about it in the Facebook group. And uh, I want to create a resource that helps single people find a relationship, if those single people want to find a relationship. And um, a lot of them do. So I'm going to end my little thing here on the survey and ask you to go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash survey. Help me collect this data on how you met your significant other or someone in the past and um, answer a few more questions. It's only going to take a few minutes and it's kind of fun to explore it for yourself, your, you know, your history with dating and such. And this might be helpful. So anyway, what I'm talking about today is um, how we form codependent relationships, but not so much that. Uh, it's more like how we give free passes to people's bad behavior. And we don't even know we're doing it. I mean, if someone is acting badly in your life and uh, you just can't stand to be around them or you hope that they don't act badly again, what are the free passes you're giving them? In other words, 
What are you doing to enable that behavior? You know, codependence comes up when I talk about this stuff, where my mom, for example, she lived with an abusive alcoholic uh, man for over 40 years. And the things she did to allow him to get away with his behavior weren't things that she necessarily saw as allowing him to get away with his behavior. They were just behaviors that she was doing that she didn't realize gave him a free pass to be who he was toward her or in general. So when my stepfather smashed a glass or a dozen eggs, <laughs> which he's done in the past, or broke windows um, or kicked walls or even hit my mom a few times, uh, her behavior after these events happened gave him a free pass to be that way again. Now, there may have been a conversation, an argument, a threat of leaving, but there was never enough accountability for him to go, wow, I really need to change my ways. Well, there might have been enough accountability for him to think that and even say it, but never follow through with it because the loss wasn't enough. Or if it wasn't about the loss, it was about it was too hard to quit drinking and getting drunk and doing what he did because that overrode everything. And that's a tough place to be. If you've ever been an alcoholic or you know an alcoholic, it is tough to quit. It is tough to stop doing something that deadens your emotions, that allows you to not feel. I'm not saying that's why all alcoholics drink or why all drug takers take drugs, but that's a you know major portion of why we do things because there are emotions involved. And you know some drugs will make you feel emotionally better. I'm not promoting drugs here. I'm just saying this is matter of fact. Some drugs will make you feel better, and those drugs might be designed to squash the negativity inside of you and allow you to feel better, which, of course, they're all short-lived. They're all quick highs or long highs, but then you have maybe a long hangover or something similar uh, getting over it. But then there are drugs that just are used to deaden the pain, deaden the emotional stuff that you're going through. And um, the simple answer is, which there is no simple answer, but the simple answer is, hey, just express the emotion that's going on inside of you. Let's face it. Let's address it. Let's put it on the table. Let's talk to a therapist. Let's talk to each other and let's get it all out. Let's talk about our shame, our guilt, our humiliation, everything that we're embarrassed about, everything that we regret and wish things had been differently. Let's talk about all that stuff. And bring it out. Let's talk about the stuff that makes us feel painful so that we're not squashing it and repressing it and putting it back only to squash it and repress it and put it back again and again and again, which again, simplistically forms addiction. And I'm not saying that's the only thing that forms addiction. I'm just saying that can and does happen. And so, yes, the solution is not simple at all. And I'm not saying that just doing that will be the solution. There are dependencies that develop on the drug, on the alcohol. But no matter where you are in life and no matter what habits you've formed, uh, you can certainly do that. But a lot of people don't want to. You can certainly express yourself. You can certainly show someone else your emotional pain and be very, very vulnerable, which can be a very scary place. But a lot of people don't want to do that. Some people would rather just 
drink it away or take drugs or smoke or do a bunch of things just to hide that emotional pain or bury that emotional pain. And it's just a way of not having to deal with it. So they climb the mountain slowly and the journey gets harder and harder and the people in their life start to fall away or grow distant or don't want to connect anymore. And so the addict or the person with the challenges that isn't sharing, that is holding back, that is repressing, is starting to get lonelier and lonelier, adding to the emotional pain. And as you climb that slowly inclining mountain and that emotional pain builds, you're likely to continue doing what you do that causes the rift between yourself and other people. You're likely to continue doing things that aren't helpful at all and only make it worse. But then there are people who don't drink and they don't do drugs and they are trying to deal with their negative emotions in a way without doing something to squash them. Yet they're still doing it mentally. They're still taking the mental energy it takes to stuff it back down. So when it comes up in some sort of emotional trigger moment, they want to stuff it back down and they'll do so by doing maybe going into a denial or doing something that distracts them or knowing that they have something to deal with but just choose to push it back down to deal with it later or just as their pattern of keeping it down repeatedly over and over again and maybe they don't ever want to deal with it and they just have to deal with the fact that it keeps coming up. Repressing negative emotions is a big subject. It causes a lot of problems. It comes out in other destructive ways when you aren't able to express what's going on inside of you. You know, one of the steps that I took when I first created the show was giving myself the choice or the freedom, the free, we're talking about free passes, right? Giving myself the free pass to express negative emotions and to express everything I was talking about earlier, the embarrassing stuff, the shameful stuff, the, um, the things that I've done that I regret, just things in my past that I used to repress, that I used to not talk about. I gave myself a pass to do so on this show because I don't want to hold it in. I don't want to keep it down because when I keep it down, it turns into other things. It's all part of the self-sabotage process. How can I succeed in life if I have these repressed negative emotions that want to be processed, that want to be released, but I choose not to do it? I choose to stuff them down with distractions or food or alcohol. And when I do that and they don't get addressed, I can't fully enjoy life. And then they come up in ways that I don't want them to come up. They come up at inconvenient times and suddenly I'm a jerk to this person. Or like when I was married, I was highly judgmental toward my wife because I refused to look at my own problems. I think that's where a lot of emotional abuse starts is that we refuse to look at our own problems. So we take it out on others. We take out our own resistance to our own emotions and thoughts and feelings and we put it on someone else because that A, gives us another opportunity to not address what's going on inside of us. And B, by focusing on someone else, it is sort of like our quick high. If we put the focus on them and make them wrong or make them feel bad, then what we're doing is avoiding what's going on in ourselves. So, you know, that could be where a lot of emotional abuse starts is avoiding what's going on in ourselves so we focus on someone else. I would bet that's where it starts. At least some of it. 
other ways might be you were just never given the tools on how to treat someone well. Like your mom or your dad mistreated you or neglected you or never thought you were good enough or whatever. They just put you in a place where you didn't have the resources or the tools so that when you got into a relationship, you knew how to treat someone else. You just didn't learn how to do that. So you became not the best partner or the worst partner ever. I mean, this can happen. So the idea of connecting with yourself and really figuring out what's going on down there in that emotional pool of yours inside and allowing it to come up for processing, for crying about, for screaming about, for any anger that you have, for any hatred that comes out, any negativity at all that's down there. Why would you want to carry that around with you? I know this isn't easy. It's not as easy as just saying, okay, let's talk about my shameful act. Let's talk about my embarrassing situation. Let's talk about this thing that made me feel so guilty. I can't even go there because it hurts too much. If it was easy to express ourselves in that way, then we wouldn't have as many of the mental and emotional problems that we can get in this world. Because quite frankly, I, I can look at all these statistics and people say that, oh, you know, mental health issues are big and they're becoming bigger all the time. And many of the statistics will blame maybe how you're brought up, your influences in life, your friends, whether you were poor or wealthy, whether you grew up in a bad neighborhood. There's a lot of influences. There's a lot of variables in the people that we're with and the environment that we're in that will help determine our level of comfort and happiness and fulfillment and also how we treat others. Those are all valid Yet, one of the first big steps into healing that, it isn't to say, I wish I had different parents. It isn't going back into anything that has happened in your life and saying, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be this way. Yes, it would be nice, but the big first step needs to start inside you where you finally allow whatever negativity is inside you to come up and be expressed and addressed and processed and finally released. That's why therapy and coaching and best friends exist. That's why you need to find someone safe or journal or express in any way you possibly can. Like my client that I talked to a week or two ago who just punched the heck out of a bag. <laughs> I think it was a punching bag. He just punched the heck out of it after he talked to someone that really just got him angry and he didn't know what else to say. He didn't know what to do with that energy. And he said it was really helpful. That's why it's so important to not let these things sit, not let them fester. When they fester, they eat away at you on the inside. That's why it's also important to have relationships that you feel safe in, that you feel like you can trust the other person. Because when you can't, guess what? You stuff whatever you're dealing with back down and you don't deal with it. You don't process it. It continues to be an infestation inside of you. That sounds gross, but if you think of it that way, you don't want it in there. You want it out of you. You want to do some exterminating of these negative emotions and get them up and out of you. How do you do that? All the things that we're talking about. And the way you do that is everything that we're talking about right now. Expressing it in some way, shape, or form and allowing it to be out there in the universe. Allowing... These things that embarrass you, that you feel ashamed by, that you feel guilty about, to come up and out of you. Hey, look, I did something that I feel guilty about. This is what happened. It may not be easy to talk about, but you pull it up and you just bring it out and you expose it to the world. 
And what this does is it allows you to confront your fears about people judging you. Imagine that if you were brave enough, if you had the courage and the emotional strength to tell the world, you can judge me all you want. Here's what I did. Imagine what that would feel like. It was a step I decided to take when I did this show, when I got into the relationship that I'm in now, when I got into my marriage, I started taking these steps to be judged. I like to look at it that way. I take steps to be judged. Not because I want to be judged, not because being judged feels good, but because I know that if I am expressing something and sharing something to someone, that it will likely create a judgment. And if it creates a judgment, it's probably important enough to talk about. That's a great way for me to look at it. It may not work for you, but I look at things like that. If, if I believe someone's going to judge me for it, it's probably important enough to talk about. So let's talk about it. So let me bring it up. Let me tell you what's going on in my life. Let me tell you what I did when I was 22. Let me tell you what I did that I don't feel very good about last week. Let me tell you the hatred I feel about this person. Let me tell you, let me share this, let me write it down. All of these things that allow you to connect, you know, build that conduit down into that emotional pool, pull some emotions out that might be sitting there an infestation that you don't need inside of you so that you can finally get it out so that it can finally stop showing up in other destructive ways, sabotaging your path to happiness, sabotaging your path to any type of fulfillment because it's always there. Let's get rid of it. Let's do that. It's not an easy process. It's not an easy path. It feels like You're about to sacrifice yourself. It really does. I mean, this is how I went through it. It felt like I needed to make a sacrifice. It felt like a life sacrifice. Meaning when I was about to share something, I was about to lose everything. I was about to lose my life. This was the risk that it felt like I was taking in order to get it out of my system. And I chose to make sacrifice an option. It felt like a sacrifice because it was such a leap of faith. It was like that part in Indiana Jones part three with Sean Connery where Indiana Jones had to cross this giant chasm and there was just no way across. It was like, I don't know, 50 feet and there was nothing to put his whip on and swing across and he decided to take a step of faith. I would say leap of faith, but it was only a step. He took one giant step into nothingness. Because the destination was more important than the moment. And that was a pivotal part of the movie because he had to put his faith on the line. And his faith was, well, I could die doing this. And that reminds me of the times that I took a step into the ravine that I thought I was going to fall in. I actually accepted that I could fall into that ravine. I could fall thousands of feet to my death by doing this. But I got to get it out of my system. I made getting it out of my system more important than dying in that moment. It wasn't death. I know it wasn't. But it felt like it. It was so scary. I thought I was going to die. Or at least lose everything. It It felt like a sacrifice. But when I did it and got it out of my system, my life changed. And this is the most important part of this. Is that your life can change as soon as you're able to get it up and out of you. Does that mean when you talk about it, it'll automatically be released? I don't know. 
But if you've never talked about it, it sure as heck better than doing nothing. But again, you got to find safe people to tell. And you also have to take some leaps of faith because even when you have safe people, people that you trust, you might be afraid that by telling them, they'll run away or they'll judge you or you'll lose them as a friend or family or partner. That is the leap because you have to find out who is going to be there to support you in the tough times. Because when they stick around during those tough times, then you know you have someone special. If they don't stick around in those tough times and you're trying to share something that you feel ashamed about or guilty about or you regret and they're taken off, then who were they in the, in the first place? How were they ever a person that really supported you in the first place if they can't stick around when you share something so vulnerable that you are afraid of their reaction? Yes, it's testing friendships. It's testing relationships. That Those leaps of faith really put everything to the test and they can absolutely get you past the biggest obstacles in your life. Those obstacles that are held down, that are repressed, that keep getting stuffed back and not processed and never dealt with so that you continue moving forward, running into obstacles, your life continuing to be sabotaged because of these repressed negative emotions that show up in destructive ways. And then many times we wonder, why does this always happen to me? Why does this happen to me? Why do I have such bad luck? And I've decided to look at everything that's going on in my life, all my results, and ask myself, well, am I holding on to anything that I haven't released yet? Am I holding on to anything that I haven't processed yet? Because I'm 99.9% sure that whatever my results are, are a direct reflection of what I'm holding on to. Is that true? I don't know, but it sure puts me in control of my own destiny. It sure helps me carve the future I want to have. And in my life, it's worked out so, so, so much more often than not. But that's because I've chosen to take that leap of faith, to believe that what I'm holding on to has a direct effect on my future. When we come back, we're going to go right back into uh, codependency and how we enable people to show up in our lives and what that does to us, because that's part of the self-sabotage process as well. I mean, who are we enabling to act badly for us? in our life. Just like uh, what I talked about, how did I enable myself to continue getting the results I was getting just because I wasn't addressing what was happening? Let's address all of this when we come back right after this. favorite learning pods in the safe empowerment system for social anxiety was Charlie Hone. If you go to charliehone.com, his last name is H-O-E-H-N. I think he offers a, a free book on anxiety. So even if you don't get the safe system, it's a book called Play It Away. And he really has a great system for stopping and dealing with your anxiety. I had him as one of the expert contributors in the safe system at quietbegins.com. And I got to tell you, it was one of my favorite segments. He walked me through a process. I don't know if it's in his book, but he walked me through a process that had me laughing. And if you can laugh out of your anxiety, that's a huge step forward. That's like the opposite feeling of when you're anxious. So I really appreciated that Charlie's invested his time and energy into this system. And we were able to create something together 
along with the other experts as well. Uh, but I wanted to share that I really enjoyed that segment and it is a powerful technique that he taught. So this is why I believe in the safe system and that it can be maybe exactly what you need to help you dissolve or diminish your anxiety, especially when you're in public, when you have to go to family reunions, when you have to go to you know work functions and try to function without getting all those old anxiety feelings and symptoms that you might normally have. So I want you to visit quietbegins.com. Check out the safe empowerment system for social anxiety and see if it's right for you. Who knows, maybe you'll be laughing through your anxiety too. Quietbegins.com. All right, welcome back. Today's episode is titled, When You Don't Even Realize You're Giving a Free Pass to Bad Behavior, The Simple Formation and Difficult Termination of Codependent Relationships. I've had an episode on codependency before, but this dives in a little bit deeper and a little bit different angle, a slightly different angle, but uh, it gives you a perspective that maybe you haven't thought of, which is really enabling someone's bad behavior. And how you do that, like in the last segment, I talked about how one can enable their own bad behavior, how one can enable themselves to continue getting the results they don't want. Would you call that bad behavior? I don't know. You just call it behavior that you don't want or results that you don't want and how you're contributing to those results. That involves a level of taking responsibility. When you take responsibility for your results, Suddenly you have a little bit more control in your life and you actually have the opportunity to change your results. You have the opportunity to change the outcome. But if you're someone who looks out to other people and says, it's your fault that I'm this way, it's your fault that I'm getting, getting these results, then you'll probably let go of control and allow your fate or your destiny in, to be in the hands of someone else. I don't like having that thought. I don't like knowing that someone else could control my fate or my destiny. It happens. I mean, it's out there in the world. There are people that can do evil things and control our fate and we end up exactly how they want us to end up. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I'm saying that when you can develop a belief system that tells you that you can absolutely be responsible for your destiny, your results, your outcome, that you're more likely to be able to change what happens instead of be it the will and mercy of the world. And that's more empowering. It's more empowering to be in that space than to be a victim of the world and know that you can't do anything about it. Doesn't mean you'll never be a victim. It just gives you a different meaning and purpose in life. It gives you different thoughts as you go throughout life. It changes your perspective. It takes you out of the belief that you can't do anything and puts you into a state of knowing that you have the ability to make decisions that can and will change your life. So this segues into how we allow bad behavior from others in our life. And the angle I'm taking with this is that we have people that can develop dependencies on us. And I'm not talking about the normal type of dependence like babies and children, mentally or physically disabled people, coworkers, teammates, and perhaps a few others. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about adults that are capable of making decisions and old enough to be held responsible for those decisions. I'm talking about people that show up in our life that we might let them become dependent on us. 
and not in the ways that maybe you think, but in a way that allows them to continue bad behavior because we allow that bad behavior. It's like once you allow bad behavior, it is that free pass I'm talking about that allows them to do it again and again. If you give someone a free pass the first time, it's very, very difficult to stop the behavior. Um, And every time it happens, the buildup, the resistance, the pushback that you might have to have has to become greater and greater. So the longer you let bad behavior go, the greater the difficulty of pushing back and stopping it altogether because it builds an energy. It builds up. It builds momentum. It continues to go and flow because there's little resistance on your part. I mean, there's resistance because you don't want it, but the allowance of it happening continues. Not that you allow it because you probably want it to stop, but you don't stop it. So I see this kind of behavior as sort of codependent. Codependent in the, in the sense that one person enables the bad behavior of another person. I had someone uh, write to me just a few days ago and tell me that the last episode that I had, the very end of the episode where I talked about how I made a different choice when facing my stepfather for the first time, and instead of allowing him to either control me or have power over me, I made a different choice. She said, that really resonated with me. That, that really helped reinforce the choices I made in my life. Because as soon as you make a different choice with the people that are showing up in a bad way in your life, you're going to show up differently. They're going to show up differently. As soon as you change your behavior, someone else's behavior will either change or you will change to the point where you won't be able to tolerate anymore. You'll make a different decision. You'll take different steps. Change happens. But change never happens as long as you continue to enable the behavior. I see codependency a lot in romantic relationships where someone develops a dependency on you. They don't have to take responsibility for their life. That may not be the totality of it, but this often happens. Someone develops a dependency on someone else to provide them the resources that they need so that they don't have to do something on their own. And that might mean, I'll use my stepfather example again, When my stepfather throws his full glass of alcohol uh, toward my mom, you know, this happened in the past, and it hits a wall and smashes into a million pieces, she doesn't say, wow, if you ever do that again, I'm leaving. She never said that. She just cleaned it up. And this showed him that it was acceptable behavior. Even when he apologized, even when he knew it was wrong when he became sober, even though all of that existed, Her making the same choice to clean up his messes caused the codependency to continue. And this works in minor form as well. This works in minor form in your life with people that show up with bad or unhealthy behavior. What decisions are you making to allow that to continue? If you show up the same way and they continue their bad behavior, you are in a codependent relationship. Because codependency doesn't have to be all about addiction. Codependency doesn't have to be all about someone incapable of taking care of themselves. Codependency doesn't have to be all about someone even behaving badly. Some people don't even know they're behaving badly because you'll get some people pleaser or highly empathetic person in a relationship and the other person just takes advantage of it. And they don't even realize they're taking advantage of it. They just show up in that way and the people pleaser slash empathetic person continues to accommodate and placate and allow this to go on 
because they haven't made the choice to stop it. And you know what that choice is like. That choice is like stepping out into the ravine hoping there's a landing. And if there's no landing, it feels like a sacrifice. It feels like you're going to die. That's what some of these decisions can feel like. It feels like I'm going to die. It feels like if I do this, I'm going to lose so much. The pain is too great to face, so I'll allow the behavior to continue. And when you allow that behavior to continue, you diminish you. You devalue you. You tell yourself that you're not important and they are, and you are not worth any more than they're treating you. And if this is tough to hear, I'm sorry. I know there are people listening right now that are in tough situations and they're going to say, it's impossible. I can't change this. I understand. In almost every situation, nothing is impossible. It's just hard to face the, the true consequence of doing what you need to do. Or if it truly is impossible, then yes, you might have to make bigger sacrifices than I'm even talking about here. I don't know what that means to you. I don't know what it means as a whole, but there's going to be a point in your life where you go, you know what? I value me enough to make a different choice this time. I value me enough and I am worth making this choice for. This is when fear starts to subside because you believe in yourself. You know that you're worth more. You know that you are worthy of kindness and respect. You want to keep your dignity. You want to keep your power. Then people who respect you respecting yourself and honor you honoring yourself show up and they're the ones that stick around. And now you're enabling the good behavior of others. There's nothing wrong with codependence as long as you're enabling good behavior and beneficial behavior and helpful behavior, even though codependence typically has a negative connotation. So we, we don't usually use that word for that kind of example, but you get what I mean. What I really want to bring this back to, though, is how there are perfectly capable people that end up relying on someone else to take care of them in some way, shape, or form, or clean up after them, or be tolerant of their behavior. Even though they're perfectly capable, even though they're smart, even though they may be nice and even healthy in many ways, dependencies can form that create a recipe for a codependent relationship or disaster. When I was married, you could say that we were in a codependent relationship. My judgmental and emotionally abusive behavior toward my wife continued because of her presence in my life. Her presence enabled it. Just being there enabled it. You know, I talk about this over in my other podcast, Love and Abuse, that we enable emotionally abusive behavior. We facilitate it continuing by continuing to show up in the relationship, by continuing to be their partner, by not breaking up, by not separating, by not taking a week off. Because sometimes their criteria of accountability involves the other person either being there or not. This is why so many emotionally abusive relationships continue and go on and on and on. Because the victim of the emotional abuse never gets to the point of full accountability where they say, you know what, I'm taking a week off. Or I'm going to leave for a while. We need to work on this relationship. And as long as the perpetrator of the emotional abuse sees that the other person isn't leaving, it's a free pass. It's the enablement. The emotional abuse continues in the relationship and just never ends. And the relationship suffers and suffers and continues to suffer. And then the victim wonders why their partner never gets it. But the victim needs to know that their partner may never get it 
until the accountability meets the criteria. That's what had to happen in my relationship. When I was married, just my wife being in the relationship, just my wife being home every day, proved that my behavior wasn't bad enough to end the marriage. But what I didn't know was happening was that our love was eroding, or at least her love for me was dissolving. It was going away. And the day she said she wanted a divorce was the actualization I needed to change my life. And a lot of people don't want to take that step. You know, it's possible that she wanted a separation for a while and that might have changed things. And we did have sort of a separation between our move and she was in California, I was in Oregon, I was going to move back down there. And we did have some time apart. And that time apart gave me enough time to myself to realize what I was doing wrong. But that time apart also gave her some reflection time on what had happened over the past several years that we'd been together and made her realize that, hey, I don't want this relationship. I'm not even in love anymore. Why would I want to continue a relationship with someone who continues to judge me and give me the silent treatment and make me feel bad about myself, make me feel guilty? She came to that realization, and one of the only ways that she could have come to this realization is by getting away from me for a while. I wasn't proud of myself who I was back then. I'm healed now. I've gone through a lot of personal growth and work in myself to get to this point. But back then, I was hard to be with. I was not a pleasant person. I was still a nice guy. I was still showed up in many, many good ways. I was romantic. and But, you know, all these little nuances of emotional abuse and big quirks of emotional abuse came out in me. And those were enough to dissolve what we had and make her make decisions that uh, she needed to make so that she could get out of the abuse. She made a smart decision. That's what sometimes needs to happen. You need to make smart decisions to stop the enablement, to stop showing the other person that their behavior is acceptable. My behavior was not acceptable. It was not supportive. It was not how I define love now, which is supporting the other person's path to happiness, supporting their journey to being happy, supporting what makes them happy, honoring them, honoring themselves, supporting them even when they put themselves down, always being there, never making them feel guilty, never causing them to feel any less than themselves. I didn't do a lot of that. And it took a divorce for me to heal through that. This is why I also call getting away from someone a gift a lot of the times. Her gift to me was taking herself out of the equation so that she stopped enabling my behavior. Not that I'm blaming her for at all for this, but with her out of the picture, I had no one to judge except myself. I had no one to give the silent treatment to except myself. I had no one to put any type of abusive or manipulative or unhealthy behavior onto because I had to face myself. I had to face what I was doing and I had to face my past and everything that I had done in my past and all the people that I had hurt in my past or made feel the way I made her feel. It allowed me the time I needed to reflect and process and heal and grow. And sometimes you don't give someone that time because you stay with them or because there's not enough accountability. I'm not trying to promote divorce or breaking up, but sometimes the separation is helpful. Sometimes getting away for a while is helpful. And this isn't only about romantic relationships. This is with anyone in your life that shows up in a way that is unhealthy for you. Sometimes you need to get away so that you can build resilience inside of you, build not only resilience, but strength 
and self-honor and self-worth so that when you step back into the situation with them, you have all of these characteristics built up and stronger so that when they show up the way they used to show up again, which usually happens, you can say, no, I'm not going to accept this in my life. No, you need to show up a little bit differently because you're being very toxic right now. You're being very disrespectful right now. And I am worth more than that. I'm not saying you use those words, but you feel it inside so that you can show up for people the way you want to be treated, not the way you automatically might let them treat you because they have treated you that way for so long. It's a totally different feeling. It's a totally different way of being. And when you can embody that way of being, you show up for people as who you want to be, more authentic, more comfortable in your own skin, and not afraid to take that step out into the chasm, knowing that they may not like you taking that step. They may not like you honoring yourself. They may be afraid that if you show up any differently, that they are going to have to face themselves. And hurtful, manipulative, emotionally abusive people don't want to face themselves. They want to put it onto you. They want to focus their energy and direct everything at you so that they aren't the center of attention, at least in a negative way. When I was married, I never wanted to face myself because I knew I was right. I mean, that's where I was. I knew I was right. If she did things differently, then our marriage would be great. I had this knowing that I was right because nothing came along and proved otherwise. If she changed, I would be happy. We would be happy. I just had the sweeping overall thought process that if she changed, we'd be good. But of course, she had to change according to my standards. And my standards were sky high. So there was no way she was ever going to meet them. Even when she did meet them, there would have been more standards. There would have been more judgments. It just wouldn't have worked out. Which is why sometimes you're in a relationship with someone and you need to tell them, look, this is how I wish to be treated. Can you meet me there? Can you treat me that way? And find out what they say. And then when they don't, or they say they're going to and they don't, you call them out on it. You, you immediately make them accountable. And if they say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, maybe give them one more chance. And then if they make that error again and they mistreat you, make the accountability real. You might just have to take that leap and then see what they do. Maybe that's the impetus they need to change. Don't give people a free pass to mistreat you. You are worth so much more than that. Thanks for joining me today. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to hit quietbegins.com and relax as the quiet begins in your mind through the safe empowerment system for social anxiety. Works for social anxiety and regular anxiety too. Check it out, quietbegins.com. And I want to thank Christy. Christy, you donated Wednesday and I want to thank you so much for that donation and for the message in the Facebook group. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your words and for your contribution. This is how we continue. This is how we go as contributors like you. I appreciate your support. And I want to give a special thanks to Clifton for inspiring the supporters page at theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash supporters. And uh, Clifton, I'm laughing because you probably know why. Uh, He inspired that page. He wrote to me and said, you know, 
I didn't even realize that I wasn't paying for the patron program anymore. And I feel so bad. Let me make, make it up to you. And he did. He made up all the months that he missed. Certainly wasn't necessary. I am super grateful for you, Clifton. And because you wrote, I said, hey, that makes me want to honor you and others like you that have donated to the show. So I created the overwhelmedbrain.com forward slash supporters page. And I put their names up there. And I put everyone's name except Clifton's. <laughs> so I am so sorry, Clifton. It was just an oversight. Um, but please know that you are definitely on there now. And I appreciate everything that you've given and your support over the years, I think. So thank you again, Clifton. And I mentioned it earlier. Uh, check out the Love and Abuse podcast. If you're in a relationship with anyone that might be a little difficult, loveandabuse.com is where I have another podcast that talks about emotionally abusive relationships, manipulative relationships, difficult relationships, anything to do with any type of relationship in your life. And you want to learn how to deal with it, how to get through it. Uh, and plus a lot of what happens under the radar, because there's a lot of bad behavior under the radar in emotionally abusive relationships. I see it all the time. The relationship looks great to everyone else, but if you're in the relationship, no one sees the subtle emotional jabs that continue to go on behind the scenes inside the home. And while the rest of the world thinks that that person is great, you see a totally different side of them. And it's important to have some source that tells you you're not going crazy. You're not alone. This is what's happening. I know exactly what you're experiencing so that you can finally stop pulling your hair out and say, finally, someone understands. Yes, I understand. I've dealt with this. I've even been in the middle of it on both sides. So check it out at loveandabuse.com. That's also where you'll get the uh, mean workbook on emotional abuse and manipulation. That's a very, very popular workbook for people in difficult relationships. And of course, the patron members over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com talk about contributions. If you find value in this show, head over to the patron site, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I've got a few new videos up there that I think are very helpful, and I'm going to continue adding more videos and audios as time goes on. But it's a place where you can show your support. I appreciate those who are in there. Thank you so much for your contributions. Patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. Well, a lot of dot coms today. <laughs> well, uh, I want to end this episode by telling you as a former or healed emotional abuser myself, yes, I admit it, I talk about it. If this is your first time listening to the show, you might think, oh, what a jerk. But I really have gone through the trials and I've gone through a lot of changes since then. Uh, but as a former emotional abuser, I want to share this. No matter how much I worked on myself, I never was able to shake my bad behavior. And like I was saying earlier, I felt like I was always allowed to do that bad behavior, even though I got resistance, even though I could see her crying. And it makes me feel bad to think about this, but I could see her crying about it or feeling really bad about it. Or as she slowly got depressed, more and more depressed over the years. I felt like I was allowed, like I had the right to behave the way I did. And to see this in myself back then, it's a different person. That's a, a shameful place to, to be. I feel ashamed looking at that person. Like, who was that guy? How could I do that to someone so kind, to someone who loved me unconditionally? How could I do that? And so I see this person that I was, and just like I was saying earlier, 
I think it's important to let this stuff out, to say that I was this person, or I did this behavior, or I caused someone else pain, or whatever it is for you. To say this stuff, to let it out so it doesn't fester, so it doesn't infect you or infest you. It doesn't become an obstacle for the future because you're carrying something from the past. Whenever it has to do with shame or guilt or humiliation or embarrassment or anger or whatever that, whatever's in there that you're holding on to, those are the kinds of things that you want to bring up and out of you. And like I was saying, I, I worked on myself while I was married. I really thought I was improving, but my improvements were so slow and incremental. They, they just weren't enough. In fact, I could look back and say, you know, I did work on myself and it did seem incrementally improved day after day or month after month. But in the big picture, if I look at that trend line and I see it going to the right, it really wasn't going higher. It wasn't progress. It was either neutral or going down. You know, if I use that trend line as a level of the fulfillment and happiness in the relationship, it was not going up. It was either always neutral or going down and neutral wasn't good for us. Neutral is good when you have a you know pretty good thing going on, but neutral or going down when you don't have something good going on or there are problems in the relationship, that needs to be looked at. That needs to be addressed. And so I really believed I was working on myself. I really believed I was improving. I was getting the books. I was going to therapy, you know, not too much therapy, but I did go to a therapist a couple times and I was doing everything I thought I should be doing. But I never really accepted that I was wrong. I really thought that if she changed, we'd be happy. And I kept that belief. And by holding on to that, it never sunk in that I needed to change. It never sunk in that I was responsible for the problems. It never sunk in that I spent so much time trying to control her that I failed to look inward to figure out that the problems were all mine. And that was the pivotal moment I learned about myself is when she left and gave me time to myself. I had no one else to focus on but me. And I finally realized, oh, she's not around. Why is she so unhappy? What am I doing? I think this is one of the questions I asked myself. What am I doing to cause that unhappiness? And I started putting myself in her shoes. It was an empathetic perspective. If I were her, how would I feel bad by some of my behaviors? And I heard myself talking to me. I heard myself saying things and giving me those dirty looks or being silent for days, withholding love and making her feel like she was completely alone in the relationship. It was awful. I never felt so bad. I was doing this to her. And for the first time, I was able to try it on and finally sense what she was going through. And it made me realize no wonder she was getting depressed. No wonder she was losing her zest for life. That empathetic viewpoint was what changed me. You know, I had somebody write to me just a few days ago about emotional abuse and they said, you know, I think I'm the abuser. I think I'm the one doing this. I talk about a big first step, right? I think I'm the one causing my partner pain. And it brought me right back to the realization I had after my wife left that I was causing these problems in our life. I think that's a great start if you feel like you're being abusive towards someone or emotionally challenging in some way or causing them hurt or pain put yourself in their shoes pretend you are them and then hear yourself saying things and doing things that you normally do how does it feel 
I mean, you can even do this in a healthy relationship. How does it feel when I say this to my wife or my boyfriend or my whatever? How does it feel? And if you feel good, then maybe you're doing something right. If you feel bad, then maybe not. Or who knows? Maybe you can't get in their shoes. But I like to look at what are my results? What is the feedback I'm getting? When I say this, she looks at me this way. She responds this way. She seems happier. She seems fulfilled. She knows I care. She knows I love her. What responses am I getting? And then when I get negative responses, I can look at my own behavior and ask myself questions like, wow, what did I just do to create that? And is it something I could have changed? Was I showing up in a less than stellar way? Was I more concerned about being right than the bigger picture of having a loving, fulfilling relationship? I ask myself these questions and most of the time I will find something in there that made me realize that perhaps I could have shown up differently. And then sometimes I won't. Sometimes I'll think, no, I was okay there. (laughs) I was right and I'm okay with that, but I still want a loving, happy relationship. So I'm definitely going to back down and be vulnerable, apologize for making her feel anything less than loved, less than supported. Because I don't want to be right. I want to be happy. And sometimes they don't mix. Sometimes it's a bad cocktail. I have to be right. It's the principle of the thing, damn it. I'm going to be right no matter what. I don't want to live life like that. I'd rather be wrong most of the time if I'm happy most of the time. Or even better, I don't care if I'm wrong as long as there's no bad blood between us. That might not be my final philosophy on that, but that's what comes to mind right now. And if you're in any type of difficult situation yourself, all I ask is that you just keep an open mind. This will allow you to step into your power. And feeling that empowerment helps you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off. 
at MVMT.com.